Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on his name, call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol had laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in the midst, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Well, welcome to the Painted Door if you're new. My name is Mark, I'm one of the pastors here, and somehow I'm supposed to preach after my wife shared her story. It's not fair. Um, excited, actually, for that to be a rhythm that we establish this year and perhaps continue in the years to come, that during Easter Tide, during the Easter Tide season, uh, we would hear from many of you about stories of grace in your life and the way the Lord is working in you. It's a great encouragement uh, to us all, I'm sure, as we'll be able to hear that from each other. Well, we continue to make progress on our little church home here. Uh, You may have noticed that as of last week, actually, we have painted doors on our entry. Uh, It only took us seven years to realize the mantle of our church name, so that's not bad. I think. Um, and then as of this week, we now have uh, doors on our entrance to the sanctuary. <laughs> Got to work on my timing on those statements. I don't know why no one cheers. Um, maybe it's because there's a lack of door handles on the doors. <laughs> you might have noticed. So it's a, it's a work in progress. Uh, also, though, if you did have the pleasure to drop little ones off in our children's rooms this morning, you might have noticed there are now window lights on two of the entry doors into some of the children's spaces. There's a window into the smaller children's space as well. That should help make pickup a little bit easier as we can see through those entryways and also just increase the overall safety. Our children's rooms are not places to hide. They're places to learn. Um, 
Also, incidentally, uh, didn't have this in my notes, but um, I see Heather Dietz sitting out here, and Heather donated an enormous amount of time and expertise to make this whole space come together. So could we all just give her a hand of thanks? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you sat in the middle and I saw you. So. <laughs> so lots of good progress uh, on all those fronts. Uh, continue to be excited about that progress as we finish up the space here and make it more and more usable for our various purposes as a church. Um, now what we need is for the progress with the building fund to match the current progress with the construction. Uh, so we've actually hit now the third quarter, the difficult third quarter of our initial fundraising goal. Do you remember running the mile in gym class way back when? Four laps around the track. And you recall when you hit that third lap that it was pure pain because you're far enough into the mile at that point to be feeling the exhaustion of it and yet you're not close enough to see the finish line and get that kick of adrenaline, that's where we are in our fundraising goal right now. So we set out to raise $80,000 initially to pay for this new space. Uh, we've raised 45000 of that, so we're right in the middle of that third lap, as it were. And right when we hit that third lap, about three to four weeks ago now, the progress began to lag. You started to see the chug, 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 <laughs> And we're a little bit stuck right there. Um, so, even though that's the case, we're still in pretty good position. We still have about $35,000 left to raise to pay for the project. And it so happens that that is exactly the amount that we actually owe in all of our bills, in construction, in the permit, in attorney fees, whatever. All of it adds up to the amount that we have left to raise. So I'm not sure how that all worked out. Somebody planned well. It probably wasn't me, um, but that's where we are. And so our goal is to pay that off over the next three months. And so here's how the numbers shake out. If you divide that out, that works out to about $12,000 a month to knock out that remaining $35,000. And we have roughly 120 people who give on a regular or semi-regular basis to support the work of the painted door. So the math is actually pretty easy. $12,000 a month, 120 people. If all 120 people were to give $100 a month for the next three months, we'd be there. Now, I know for some of you that's too much. For others of you, that may be easy and you could do more. I think if we all do our part, uh, we can get there. So there it is, the update. Onward. We are in what is now called Easter Tide. Last week we celebrated Easter. If you were here, I think you would testify with me that that Easter celebration was sweet. I can say that quite literally. Uh, a number of you who are sugar teetotalers informed me that the massive pie that we served was just an avalanche of sugar blasted all of your systems. We all gained half a dozen to a dozen pounds last week. I'm the only one who has to stand in front, so <laughs> you all are looking pretty good uh, compared to me. But really, that is the point. 
of Easter. That's the point of the celebration. And the celebration of Easter, we are celebrating a resurrection reality. We're celebrating that dead things come alive in the power of our God. And we're celebrating that all that is bitter turns sweet. And the best thing about the Easter celebration is that it is a celebration of something true. It's a celebration of a reality that God has brought to pass through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Jesus did rise from the dead, and he has now invited all of us to participate in that resurrection reality, to actually experience what it is to have new life spring out of dead things, even new life springing out of our own dead bones, out of our own folly, out of our own sin, to see God resurrect and lead us into becoming new creations. That message is so sweet and so profound that historically Christians have determined not to confine it to simply one day of the year. The celebration of Easter was actually never meant to be confined to one day of the year. It breaks out of that one day. It demands more celebration. There is new life. There's resurrection reality. And so historically Christians have celebrated a 50-day season called Easter Tide. So if you're sad or sorry that Easter is over, repent. You're wrong. It's not. It carries on now for seven weeks. Now, through some horribly tragic failure in organization and planning, there's no pie this week. <laughs> I have to talk to somebody about that. Uh, but what we do have this week is the feast of new life, the sweetness of new life in Christ. And we aim to be serving up that sweet new life that Christ offers to us over the course of this Eastertide season by way of the Psalms. And specifically by way of the Psalms of Thanksgiving and the Psalms of Praise. So if you've been with us over the past weeks and months, you know that our church has actually been focusing on the Psalms since all the way back in the fall. And we began with the wisdom psalms, which are in essence proverbs tucked into the psalms. And then we made our way with the turn into the new calendar year into the psalms of lament. And we remained in the psalms of lament through most of the Lenten season leading up to Easter. And then we looked at the royal psalms on Palm Sunday and last week Easter Sunday. And it's worth noting that the longest period of that, of course, was the Psalms of Lament because the Psalms of Lament constitute more than half of the Psalter. And God provides the Psalms to us. He provides the Psalter to us as a guide for our gathered worship. So looking at what it emphasizes ought to teach us what we are to emphasize and give us shape to our gathered worship. But... Now, we are moving into those psalms that lead us into thanksgiving, lead us into rejoicing. The Eastertide season is the season for levity, the season for revelry, the season for laughter, the season for loud singing, for expressive worship. 
It's the season to let all of the glory of the resurrection bubble up into our mouths and our hands and our gathered expression together. I think actually that our church does fairly well in recognizing the shape of lamentation. Perhaps that's a frustration to some of you. Uh, But we are able to sit and lament for quite some time. And in fact, in just thinking pastorally about our congregation, I think actually that we've been in lament in some form or another for about two plus years. And I think that's actually been right and good and that God has met us in grief and that he has offered healing to us there and that there's been real life and deepening roots and trust and faith that's been born as we've been lamenting together as a church. But I also think that this is time for a new season for us. And it so happens to line up with the arrival of Easter tide. God, of course, is orchestrating all of that in the lives of his people and leading us into this season of rejoicing. So for those of you who have been longing for that, longing to see our church recognize what is clearly present in the scriptures, much happiness, much singing, much delight, much smiling, all of these beautiful parts of human life and existence. This is your day. This is your season. And if you are particularly gifted in expressive worship of that kind, if you have a disposition from the Lord that is happy and vibrant and full of delight and energy, we need your help. Our church needs your help. We are like a middle-aged person who has been hibernating all winter and is now showing up at the first game of spring softball. Okay. We're a little stiff. Okay. We are going to need to warm up. We're going to need to stretch a bit. So if you have that ability to help us be shaped in joy and excitement and vigor... We need that from you, but please be gentle. (laughs) It's not going to happen overnight. Don't expect home runs to be hit our first couple of at-bats, but thanks be to God, Easter Tide is seven weeks long, and I believe that God can shape us over that period, and I think we even started to see the first signs of that last week. So if you were here last week, there was energy and delight and joy that was bursting forth from our congregation in a way that, quite frankly, I haven't seen for a while. Um, I noticed that a few people had their hands in the air while we were singing. Go figure. That used to be a normal thing in our church years ago. Uh, I noticed even more than that, there were some tapping feet which is pretty dangerous because that leads to dancing. (laughs) And there were even some reports that there was some clapping that started to happen during the final song. You had to listen closely. (laughs) It was faint and horribly out of rhythm. (laughs) But it was there. 
And I expect more of that will be coming as we move forward in this season. If you've just showed up at our church sometime over the past two years, you may not know that our church was once a rejoicing, happy, delighting church. Um, And I think God is taking us back into a season where we will live there. The musicians of our church have committed to adding in more vibrant songs of praise to the way that we sing. And our preachers, including this one, are going to dig down deep and find that happy place to share with all of you. And so we begin uh, with a psalm of thanksgiving, Psalm 116, which we read in its entirety just a moment ago. It opens this way, starting in verse 1. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Jumping down to verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. This psalm, Psalm 116, fits into a section of psalms called the Hallel Psalms, Psalms 113 through 118. And these are psalms that are associated with the word hallelujah, psalms that are associated with the command to the people of God to praise the Lord. That's what hallelujah means. Praise the Lord, everyone. Let's praise the Lord together. Psalm 116 is meant to usher the congregation into a rejoicing, vibrant expression of praise to the Lord. It's meant to usher us into the clapping of our hands and the tapping of our feet and the shouting before the Lord, the singing loudly before the Lord that I'm speaking of. And what could trigger that kind of thankfulness and praise more than resurrection? What could lead us to rejoicing more than God making life come out of dead things? That's the the theme here in this particular psalm. This psalmist was in the snares of death, but he says now is walking in the land of the living. Now, What's profound about Psalm 116 is that it is the psalm that is primarily used during the Passover celebration. So the ancient feast of the Passover instituted by God in Exodus chapter 12 for his people to remember his rescue of them out of slavery in Egypt when he broke the bonds of slavery that Pharaoh and the Egyptians held over his people and released them into new life. He instituted the Passover meal as a solemn memory of that, as a celebratory, I should say, memory of that. And at that Passover meal, Psalm 116 was the primary psalm used. Such that we can postulate, and many scholars do, 
that in that great telling in the Gospels of Jesus' final Passover celebration, when he is gathered with his disciples in what we call the Last Supper, and remember as Christians on Maundy Thursday, this year we celebrated it with a Seder feast here, we can postulate that when the scriptures tell us that Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn, which they do tell us, that the hymn that they sang was Psalm 116. Many scholars believe that to be the case. And what a profound thing that is. Picture this in your mind. Jesus on the eve of his death, knowing that he is about to be betrayed and killed, is singing this psalm about the deliverance of God the God who rescues his people from death and from tears. It's a song about the God who leads his people into the land of the living. What a precious comfort that must have been for Jesus on the eve of his crucifixion, on the eve of his death. Jesus was made for this moment of trial and death. Jesus, in his human form, I should say, was made for that moment. He entered into human form for that moment. And God is meeting him in that moment with these very comforting words. That's what Psalm 116 is it's a comfort. It's a comfort for any person of God, any person of faith who is facing a dark night, who is going into a bleak place, even going into the grave, as was the case for Jesus. Psalm 116, it acknowledges that the snares of death do come for the people of God. It acknowledges that tears, in fact, are normative for the people of God. And yet, it tells us that from out of that desperate place, from out of that dark night, deliverance comes. It tells us that God saves, proclaims it in no uncertain terms. How much sweeter and richer are these words of comfort than are the many thousands of coping mechanisms that we so often and typically turn to in the face of dark night, in the face of hard tasks. Can I ask you, how often do you turn to coping mechanisms? when you are facing something really hard, when you're facing something really sad, when you're facing betrayal or relational breakdown or whatever it may be. Coping mechanisms are just those things that we use to dull the pain or perhaps distract us from it. Things like music or television or food or a stiff drink course there's far too many coping mechanisms to name really everything that exists can be used as a coping mechanism by us 
And in that sense, coping mechanisms, of course, then are not evil. In fact, it can be a tremendous gift from God to take a break when pain is overwhelming, to get your bearings, to exit off the freeway of life for a moment and catch your breath. There's nothing evil about coping mechanisms. But that's why my question is, how often do you turn to them? Not do you turn to them. We all do. Even Jesus did. But how often do you turn to them? Because I think many of us don't merely turn to coping mechanisms. I think many of us build homes there. Many of us live our lives in coping mechanisms. Live our lives in distraction. Live our lives in a place that dulls pain. And in so doing, we actually shut ourselves off from the true, rich, and sweet comfort of God. We close our ears to the true comfort that God is speaking to us. Because unlike coping mechanisms, God's comfort actually meets us in the snares of death. Doesn't distract us from them. Doesn't pretend they are less than they are. His true comfort meets us right in the middle of them. Doesn't pretend that those snares aren't there. God's comfort doesn't say, look on the bright side. God's comfort doesn't say, let's stay positive. Has none of that ring of dishonesty to it. God's comfort says that when the snares of death encompass me, he saves. In fact, that's when he moves most. He comes right into the darkest places and saves us. This is honest and true comfort. It's resurrection, not wishful thinking. And resurrection alone can produce worship and delight and joy in a way that coping mechanisms never could. They produce vapid, tepid, false, fleeting happiness that can't sustain us into anything real. The resurrection comfort of God is littered throughout the Psalms of Thanksgiving. It is the theme of the Psalms of Thanksgiving. Let me read just a small sampling. From Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 147, a great psalm of thanksgiving, doesn't tell us that he steers us around broken hearts and prevents wounds from happening. No, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 118, out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Again, out of distress, I called. The Christian life has distress in it. The person of faith experiences the hate 
of those who stand against him or her. And yet, God is in that with us, at our side, as our helper. Again, in Psalm 30, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, the place of the dead. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. You see, God doesn't blow smoke about life as merry-go-round. God saves. God meets us in what is true and dark and hard about life, and he rescues us there, and he's the only one who is powerful enough to offer a true salvation from the true dark nights of our lives. Every other rescue, every other rescuer can do no more but offer us a sort of Pollyanna optimism. God alone saves. God alone can go into the darkest, hardest, most bleak situation, the most desperate place of your life, the place of most profound loss and despair, and he can bring life there, resurrection there, new life there. He is alone, the God of salvation. I want to tell you, if you are facing any dark night right now, if you are at a place where tears are always close at hand, maybe you're living in a coping mechanism to try and dull that pain or distract yourself from it in some way, Hear this from the word of God, Psalm 116. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. God cares. God sees you where you are. God cares for you where you are. God's heart is broken with you in that place. He is not coping. He has not doled his senses to the difficulty that you find yourself in. He is in it with you, and you are precious to him. Precious is the death of his saints. He is paying close attention to the hurt and the loss that you find yourself in. Trust me, if there were somewhere that God could take you, that would lead you around the grave, he would do it. If there were some other way to navigate through this life and into eternity that did not involve death, God would give it. What's more, he would take it for himself. Jesus prayed, Father, if there be any other way, if there be any other way than going to this cross, if there be any other way than drinking this cup of pain and death. But there is no such way. There is no such out. There is only the journey into the grave. And then, resurrection. New life. True salvation. God is working this out in you in the same way that he worked it out in his own son. Your resurrection is as sure as the resurrection of Jesus. 
The resurrection of Jesus is a guarantee to us that we can trust God even into the grave, that he will meet us there and every little mini graveyard along the way that he is working out new life in us. Only trust him. He's good to his word. He's the one who saves. Each of these uh, four psalms that I have just read from, these psalms of thanksgiving, these psalms of comfort, they promise a real rescue out of real trouble. And in every case, these psalms crescendo into praise and thanksgiving. There is a pattern to the psalms of thanksgiving and praise in the scripture. And it is the pattern of death, new life, worship. Death, resurrection, praise. Each of these four psalms bubbles up into that kind of praise because there is nothing like the true joy that bursts from God making dead things live again. Nothing even compares. Listen as these psalms reach that height. Psalm 116, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. Psalm 147, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. Psalm 118, you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 30, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. I remember viscerally and well when the joy of resurrection first flooded into my life and heart. I remember it quite well when faith and the praise and the comfort and the rest and the delight of it came into my soul. Do you remember that? Those of you who believe. Do you think on it often? The scripture admonishes us to remember our first love remember what it was to taste the salvation of the Lord, to pass from death to life and to drink deeply of the joy of that. Let me encourage you, that same saving God remains. That same God who rescued you at first will rescue you at last. What he started, he will finish. He is the author and perfecter of our faith, all of the reason for joy and delight and worship and comfort and rest that attended you on the day of your salvation is yours every day for the rest of your life and for eternity. There is ample reason to worship and sing and delight and be happy in Jesus forever, forever. There's no one like our God. He alone saves If there's anyone here who does not know that salvation, 
Anyone who has not tasted that joy, that delight, that rest. Hear this, God has not waited for you to bring salvation. He is working even now and has sustained you even to this point. You are already suspended in the grace of God. He holds you in his hands. Trust him. Trust him. Hear his words. Receive his grace and know his new life. Our God is matchless and trustworthy and he alone saves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the testimony of your word, for the faithful record of past saints who have known the joy of salvation, who have known what it is to pass from death to life and have recorded for us songs of delight and worship. Would you usher us into that spirit today by your spirit? Reawaken in our hearts the joy of our salvation that love would burst from us. Pray for any person here for whom these words are foreign, that you would break in and reveal yourself, that you would overwhelm coping mechanisms and defense mechanisms and hurts and traumas with your love, that you would wash us all, baptize us all in the love of your Son. Father, fill our church with vigor and life as we enter into worship today. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.